today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 are not verses that should alarm us. There's nothing deficient with the hand of God. I'm eternally secure in His hand. But I also have to recognize that there is some wiggle room in Scripture for the potential for one to leave, renounce, deliberately decide they no longer want relationship. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Did you know that some people choose to abandon their faith? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that sadly some people choose to deliberately leave their faith in Jesus Christ. They completely abandon and turn their backs on their relationship with Him. Pastor Gary reminds you that if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you are kept firmly secure in His hand. However, recognize that there is a potential for the abandonment of faith. Keep your heart softened to the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we're left with the fourth one. And this may or may not be the right interpretation either. And this is, this is where it gets, you know, a little dicey with people in terms of, you know, could it possibly be saying this? But it, there's a possibility that this is speaking of apostasy, that is a Christian leaving his or her salvation. Now, before I explain all that, I want to again remind you of some verses. If you go back to chapter 2, I took you through a quick survey of these verses last week, but I just want to remind us again from chapter 2 in verse 1, you're going to notice this theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So underline that phrase, drift away. And then go to chapter 3 and verse 12 where the writer says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, so you have drift away in chapter 2. You have turn away in chapter 3. If you go further to chapter 10, in chapter 10, look at verse uh, 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So you see in chapter 2, you have drift away. And in chapter 3, you have 
turn away. Here in chapter 10, you have shrink back. And then in our passage in chapter 6, if you want to go back to chapter 6 now, uh, you have fall away in verse 6 of chapter 6. So it's pretty clear that, again, we're going to try to unpack this more carefully, but there's a common thread sewn throughout this letter that there's a warning here about not drifting away, falling away, turning away, and shrinking back. Now, again, we have to remember the, the audience and the context. The book is called Hebrews because the writer is writing to Jewish believers. These are Jewish people, Hebrews, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah. And they are being confronted with a lot of change. Uh, I don't know what your background might be, but if you, if you have a church background, if you were raised, say, in a mainline church, there might be a few things that you, when you started reading your Bible more carefully, began to realize uh, some of those things are maybe more tradition than really Scripture. And so you begin to realize and you begin to separate what is truth from what is tradition, okay? Others of you had no church background at all. You came to faith in Christ maybe later in your life. You weren't raised in the church. And so you don't really have, you know, any kind of religious traditions to undo because you didn't have any to begin with. But you have to remember for the Jewish people, I mean, your entire Old Testament was everything that they lived by. I mean, the law and, and the sacrifices and the feasts and the festivals, and, and the, the dietary aspects of things, and, and all these various ordinances. Now again, you know, listen, the, the Bible in general is the moral code of God, but there are some aspects of the Old Testament that can be separated between the moral code, the ceremonial code, and the dietary code. The moral code is always intact and is never replaced. But the ceremonial and the dietary aspects of the law were intended to point people to Christ ultimately, and those things were ultimately fulfilled in Christ. You know, when I, when I have a Passover meal with a Jewish believer, I mean, they are in the best place of all places because they have the opportunity to see how Christ is fulfilled in the Passover meal and how Passover was pointing to Christ. But as a Jewish believer, one can experience the fullness of that whole story and have a Passover meal with a whole greater enlightened understanding of what the whole thing means, okay? But for a Jew to begin to recognize that how they get to God is radically and completely different than how they were used to getting to God, meaning the sacrificial system, slaying of an animal, the shedding of blood, the whole, the whole dragging your lamb to, to the temple, all this stuff, going through all the rites and rituals. And now you're told, listen, all those things just pointed to Christ. You don't have to do those things anymore. I mean, this is, this is completely turning the world upside down. So it's no wonder that when some Jews came to faith in Christ, that they were having some challenges being able to be fully devoted to this whole new approach to God. And for this reason, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't fall back on, on the old system. The old system was put in place temporarily to provide temporary righteousness 
through the shedding of the blood of an animal. But when Christ came, that's why Paul refers to Christ in in Corinthians as our Passover lamb. This is why John the Baptist, when he was about to baptize Christ, said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Christ comes, dies on a cross, is the perfect sacrifice, sheds his blood. So no longer do we have to approach God through the shed blood of an animal, as imperfect and temporary as that was, to provide temporary atonement. It's been replaced and fulfilled filled by the perfect sacrifice and perfect atonement of Jesus Christ. But this, this is radically different for a Jewish mind. And so they have to begin to recognize things and see things through an entirely different lens. And for that reason, they were more apt to fall back into their Jewish rituals and the sacrificial system. Does everybody see this? And this is important to understanding number four here, because when you take into consideration the perspective of the Jews who are receiving this letter, he's challenging them about not falling away. Now, I want you to notice in verse 6, if they fall away, I want you to circle that, but I want you to join it with verse 4, where he says it's impossible. Something's impossible here in verse 4. And I want to take you to two other uses of the word impossible, so I think it'll tie together. If you go to chapter 10, And look at verse 4. In chapter 10, verse 4, he says simply this, because it is impossible, there's the use of the word impossible again, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, it's just what I was mentioning a moment ago. And and he's going to go on for a few chapters about this. But notice that he uses the word impossible again. Not just in chapter 6, verse 4, but now in chapter 10, verse 4, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now go to one more verse in chapter 11, verse 6, where he he uses the word impossible again in chapter 11, verse 6. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, or some of your translations say diligently, seek him. But there's the word impossible used again. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want to tie this together. So he makes it clear in chapter 10, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to save anybody. In other words, the sacrificial system, God put it in place temporarily until the ultimate sacrifice of Christ could be revealed in God's perfect timing. All right? So it was necessary that the Jewish people sacrifice the animals in the Old Testament because it was the only means albeit temporary, by which one could be made righteous. The shed blood of an animal, perfect sacrifice in exchange. But the writer of Hebrews says here, listen, since Christ died, it's his shed blood, it's his sacrifice. It is impossible now, because he's died and he's once and for all paid the price by his sacrifice, it's impossible for the blood of animals to save anybody anymore. That's impossible. And he goes in chapter 11, he says, let me tell you something else that's impossible. It's impossible for you to please God without faith because you have to exercise faith in order to approach God. Why? Because we have to believe that this whole thing about Jesus dying on a cross for our sins is legit. And the only way you can believe that is if you accept it by faith. People who are like, well, give me the empirical evidence and prove to me this and that. Listen, friends, there's just some things in life you got to accept by faith. And this is one of them. And this is a kind of a major thing, too, because it, it, it has everything to do with your whole eternity. But now when you put this together, doesn't this make a little bit more sense? Because he's talking about here, let me tell you some things that are impossible. It's impossible for the blood of animals to save you anymore because Jesus is the only sacrifice that can save anybody. 
And it's impossible for you to get saved, even though Christ paid the price, unless you exercise faith in response to what Christ has done. That's chapter 11. And when you sew that together and you come back here now to chapter 6, it makes a little bit more sense here. Because when you combine this, what he's basically doing is he's pointing to the impossibility. So what's impossible here? It's impossible to find repentance through the sacrificial system because it can only be gained, repentance and, and salvation, through faith in Christ. So that's what's impossible. What's impossible is for anybody to rely on any other person, place, or practice besides Christ for their salvation. That's what's impossible here. And so, in other words, he's saying to his particular audience in this context that if you retreat back to Judaism and the sacrificial system, you have, in effect, then rejected Christ. You've crucified him all over again. You've subjected him to disgrace because you've just decided that by falling back on the sacrificial system, that the sacrifice of Christ was of no value. So, you've just dishonored, you've completely shamed the cross. And therefore, you have rejected Christ. You've crucified him all over again. Now, that's the context. And as much as we can read this and relax a little bit and go, okay, all right, cool. We can relax because this warning is not directly aimed at us, seeing as how, as far as I know, none of us here used to sacrifice animals in order to get to God. And if you did, I really don't want to know. If you're kind of one of those who kind of the back of the woods, you know, where you're out killing animals and doing some kind of blood covenant thing, I don't really want to know, okay? Anyway, as far as I know, none of us, you know, this is, you know, some religious sects today still do that kind of a thing. But, you know, in, in the context of what we're talking about here, obviously the sacrificial system hasn't been in place in 70 AD when Titus Vespasian comes in with the Roman army and destroys the temple. When the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, so went the sacrificial system. No more sacrifices have been made in, uh, for the Jews since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, which leads to a very interesting predicament because how does a, an Orthodox Jew then believe that they are atoned for if the sacrificial system has been done away with since 70 AD? And you ask a Jew and their answer is, we believe through prayer and good works because we, the temple's gone so we can't sacrifice animals and so we believe it's through prayer and good, good works, which with all due respect to my Jewish friends who don't believe in Jesus as Messiah... That sounds really good, but that's not what your own scriptures teach in terms of your own atonement. It must be by blood. It must be by sacrifice. And if the sacrifice, you know, in God's economy of things, I mean, it, it's, you know, don't feel badly like, oh, this is really sad. The Romans came and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. Listen, do, do you think for just a minute that perhaps God was trying to remove something that is no longer necessary so that people could then say, well, if I can't offer my lamb for sacrifice anymore to atone for my sins, how in the world am I going to do this? Oh, perhaps it's through Jesus now. And so, since none of us have practiced that sacrificial system for atonement, we might read this and think, all right, that's the context, and so it was really talking to the Hebrew people who were believers in Jesus, not to fall back on Judaism, but we still have to heed this, and here's, and here's why. Because it still very much applies to us even if it's indirectly. Why? Because it opens the door to the idea that one can leave his or her salvation if he or she thinks there is something better. 
Now, for the Jew that he's warning who would fall away, they thought the sacrificial system is better. That's what I'm more used to. That's what I believe in. So I, I, this whole thing about Jesus dying on the cross, I can't really grasp this whole thing. They fall back on something they think is better. The same potential exists. So don't, don't write yourself out of the story. We need to insert ourselves in the story and say, okay, well, wait a minute. If it's possible that they could leave their faith and fall away, it's possible for something they thought was better. It's possible for people to leave their faith for something they think is better, i.e. the world. And that is something we need to wrestle with biblically because that is something that Scripture speaks about as well. In fact, Paul even mentioned a guy in 2 Timothy 4.10. He talks about Damas. He said, Damas is no longer with me because he loved the world. And yet he had commended Damas as a follower of Christ previously. And we have to wrestle with things like 1 John 2.15 that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I do believe that interpreting these verses, yes, in the context, yes, about Jewish believers potentially falling back into Judaism and the, and the sacrificial system instead of on Christ. But I do believe it, it speaks in general to all of us about the potential for apostasy. It is a word in the Bible, and we need to understand it. We need to understand it in its context, too. I don't want anybody to get wigged out and feel alarmed like, you know, now, now what does this mean? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have the assurance of my salvation. I want you to feel very sure of your salvation. But I want you to also understand that Scripture speaks about this potential. Now, notice, please, that I'm using the word intentionally, leave your salvation. Leave your faith. I will not use the terminology, one can lose their salvation. And it's not just semantics. It's intentional. Words mean a lot. To lose something is unintentional. To lose something is accidental. Okay, I lose my keys around the house. All right, you, you lose your car at the parking lot at the mall at Christmas time, don't you? And you use your little you know, uh, alarm clicker on your keys to try to find, where did I park my car? You lose things unintentionally. Okay? No one should ever think that your salvation is that whimsical. That all of a sudden, one day you wake up and it's like, like you lost your keys. Like, I think I've lost my salvation. That's nonsense. And nobody should walk around with that kind of a fear. But to leave something is entirely different. Because to leave something is not accidental. It's a deliberate choice. A deliberate conscious action. And the passage is warning about a deliberate, willful, conscious action of leaving the faith and becoming apostate. Jesus, in his letter to the churches of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, when he's commending, I believe it's the church at Ephesus, but before I quote it, I better make sure. In Revelation chapter 2, yeah, it's the church of Ephesus. He's, he commends them at the beginning, and he says in Revelation 2, 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And he commends them for all that. And he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, New King James and King James uses the word left. You have left your first love. ESV uses the word abandoned. You've abandoned your first love. It doesn't say you've lost. It says you've left. You've forsaken. You have abandoned your first love, meaning the Lord. 
And so the Lord adds, remember the height from which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I think Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 are not verses that should alarm us. There's nothing deficient with the hand of God. I'm eternally secure in his hand. But I also have to recognize that there is some wiggle room in Scripture for the potential for one to leave, renounce, deliberately decide they no longer want relationship. Now, we can quibble about words. And, and, and don't come up to me after the service and some say so to me, because I've heard this many times over the years, well, that just means somebody wasn't really saved. You know, look, I, I don't know. Only God knows the heart of people, right? I, I don't know. I don't know who's saved or who's not saved. I, I have enough trouble just, you know, walking in the confidence of my own salvation. I didn't worry about yours. You know, and you shouldn't be worrying about anybody else except your own. And I don't say I have trouble in the sense that I, you know, I'm doubting. I just mean like, you know, my main objective and focus needs to be my walk with Christ and I don't, I don't need to be, you know, the, the fruit inspector and judging the fruit of other people's lives and deciding whether they're saved or not. That's up to God. God is the one who knows the, the human heart. But I, I have to look at verses like these, and I'm challenged about how sober, how sobering these verses are in terms of the challenge, heed the idea, the warning here. And this is, I think, in general, what the writer of Hebrews is simply saying to us, that As long as someone rejects the only possible way to be saved, then it is impossible for them to be saved by any other means. And that your rejection of Jesus is just crucifying him all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace because that's exactly what the unbelieving Jews did to him. So I need to just guard my own heart and my own life and make sure that I'm walking in step with the Lord, never doubting his grip on me, because his grip is firm, but recognizing the frailty of my own flesh and that there's that potential that I could deliberately, willfully forsake him. And so I want to make sure that as far as it depends on me, and this is where, you know, the Calvinist and Arminian debate, you know, gets flaming. Um, Is it all up to God? Is it all up to me? Listen, when you read the full counsel of Scripture, It's the sovereignty of God, and it's the responsibility of man, and it meets somewhere delicately in the middle, and that tension is kept intact, and we can't necessarily unravel it all. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in predestination. I believe in the chosen and the election of the saints because the Scripture talks about it. But I also believe that I have a responsibility in this relationship. And that the same will that I was given by God to exercise in response to his tugging of my heart, to receive him as my Lord and Savior, and to accept him, is the same will I could exercise to reject him. And I just can't divorce the two. The two meet, and Scripture speaks of it. And so we must walk delicately with these passages, not dogmatically, making room for differences and discussions. But I think these are sobering reminders to us. And let's continue to just press into Jesus and run the race with perseverance, knowing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 
If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary's Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you're able to keep up to date with every new program we post as soon as we make it available. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go, in every circumstance you find yourself in. All this is found at our website. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd be happy to do our best to answer your questions and tell you more about this ministry, along with the church it stems from, Cornerstone Chapel. So don't hesitate to call. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know